Well, good morning. Welcome to church today. Uh, as you can tell, I am not Pastor Chip. Pastor Chip is on vacation today, and I, I know many of you already do this, but I would just ask you to remember uh, to pray for your pastor. And he's on vacation this week, and that's a good thing. He's getting a chance to, to slip away for a week. And now he, he did go on vacation with about 16 children five years or younger with them, so they may need extra prayer this week. But, but uh, remember to pray for your pastor, and, and it's a good thing when he gets the opportunity to slip away. So that's a good thing. And this morning, we're going to continue with our summer series over Colossians called Greater. And I'm going to tell you some phrases that you have heard every week if you've been here uh, for this series. So these should not be anything new to you. Context change, but people stay the same. We live in a different world and a different time than, <clears throat> than the people in Colossae. However, these words that we are, are reading and hearing impact us the same because people still act the same way. Human nature has not changed. And so context change, but people stay the same. And we try too hard. Our society pushes to be the best. We push to be independent. I work with teenagers and the main thing on their, on their minds is usually independence in one way, shape or form. They wanna, they wanna be able to drive the car without mom and dad. They wanna be able to go and do things uh, on their own. They want to be independent. And we try sometimes too hard to be independent. And then the last thing, and this kind of, we're gonna jump right in where Pastor Chip left off last week. Jesus is greater than our old way of life. If you remember last week, if you were here, Pastor Chip spoke on a list of different things that were our old life. And I'm going to repeat those to you here just briefly. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. That was the list of the old ways of life. And then it said that we were to put those off or take those off. And that is in, in the Greek, that is actually a clothing term. So if you, if you kind of get this mental picture, it's going to help you out this morning. We have these old clothes, these old spiritual clothes that last week we talked about taking off. All right. And this week we're going to talk about what to replace those with. Um, in, in scripture, Jesus talks about the fact that, you know, sometimes when you take things away, when you get rid of of old habits and, and things, but you never replace them with anything else, those old habits come back. And not only do they come back, they come back stronger and with more friends. And so we want to find out this week what it is that we are supposed to put on in their place. Now, when I was in junior high, uh, I was the youngest of five boys in my family. And when I was in junior high, we had this youth sponsor uh, named Uncle Chris. And Uncle Chris did the funnest Things. He would take teens to, to go skiing. He would take them on mission trips. He would take them um, to do all these like golfing outings. Like they would go and play golf at like five different places and, and, and all this. And if, and if you had the money, you could go and do these things with Uncle Chris. And he loved to hang out with young people and do these things. And the problem was I was the youngest of five boys. And so being the youngest of five boys who all like to do all of those things, I never really got the opportunity to do them because it was kind of like on a seniority system. So my brother, my older brothers, they would go get to ski with Uncle Chris and go play golf with Uncle Chris. And I was the youngest and I kind of got left home. 
And so it was kind of a bummer because when they go on these trips, like especially with skiing, they would go and they would talk about it for the rest of the year. And it was just kind of like, yeah, that's, that's cool. You guys went up on a, on a mountain and made a, and made a uh, like sled out of an old refrigerator you found in the woods and like took all these pictures at the T-bar at the highest point of the mountain and, and did all this stuff. And I just get to look at pictures. And so I would get really frustrated about it. But one year when I was in junior high in eighth grade, I had the opportunity to go on a trip with Uncle Chris. Our youth group was planning a skiing trip. Now it was to Minnesota, so it wasn't quite Colorado, but I didn't care because I had the opportunity to go. And so um, to, in order to go, though, I had to win this competition that we had in our youth group. And it's the same type of competitions youth groups normally have. You know, bring your Bible, you get a point. Bring your friend, you get a point. Memorize scripture, you get a point. Bring offering, you get a point. All these things, and they add up, and the person with the most points at the end gets a free trip to go with Uncle Chris skiing to Minnesota. And so I jumped into that contest like you wouldn't believe. I invited everybody I knew and their grandma. I, I hid my Bible under a couch cushion at church so that I wouldn't ever forget it and I would get the point for it. And I would always, I would always make sure that I found money somewhere to bring for offering. And I won the competition and I finally got to go on this trip with Uncle Chris. Now, I'd never gone skiing before, so there were some things I didn't have, but because I won the competition, my parents didn't have to pay the hundreds of dollars for me to go on this trip. They said, now we'll, we'll, we'll buy that stuff for you. So um, they took me to the sports authority in Omaha, Nebraska, one day after basketball practice to buy me ski pants and goggles and all that kind of stuff, everything that you need. And so I'm there at the sports authority and I'm looking at ski pants and I find these ones that I really like and I go try them on. Now, no person in the store ever told me I was doing anything wrong by going in and making sure that the ski pants fit with just athletic gym shorts. All right, so I'm going, I don't, I'm not thinking about like what it's going to be like out on the mountain. I'm not thinking, I'm just thinking, okay, these pants fit, we're good. And we went. We arrive at the ski slope. It's negative 35. It was a record low cold for them. And so they told us, now when we go out tomorrow, you guys want to put on an extra layer of clothing. And so for me, that meant jeans. I had to wear jeans underneath these ski pants that I had just fitted with just athletic gym shorts. All right, and so I don't know if you've ever had to layer clothing that's not big enough to be layered, but when you put it on, it like pulls the rest of your clothes up. And so I did that and it pulled my, my pant leg up to, to reveal a like bare patch of skin. And then I, I could also, I could never like really walk normal. I kind of had to, while everything was way too tight. And so I'm going out there and I'm, it's miserable. I get burn marks on my legs. I can't get out of the way of a skier because I can't move. And they run me over. And this trip doesn't end up being what I wanted it to be because I wore clothes that wasn't meant to be worn with other clothes. And we do that sometimes spiritually. We hold on to those old pieces of clothing that we talked about last week, and it just doesn't work. Those clothes aren't meant to be layered. Those clothes are not meant to be kept on, on underneath of new spiritual clothes that we're going to read about this week. Our new spiritual clothes that we're going to read about this week are compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love. Now, I don't know about you guys, but have you ever tried to be greedy and yet compassionate at the same time? Have you ever tried to be kind and angry at the same time? Doesn't work out right. 
And it all, if, as long as those earthly nature clothes, those old clothes, as long as they're still on, they're underneath, they're the ones calling the shots. The other clothes just kind of mask what's on underneath. And so this morning, these, these clothes that we're looking at, they are meant to be worn on their own. And we can't layer them. So let's look at, let's look at our uh, passage this morning. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has grievances against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this time this morning that we have to come and to hear your word and to worship you. And dear God, we just pray that as we uh, take a, a deeper look into your word this morning, that you would uh, open these words new and, and fresh today. Help us to learn something new. Help us to, like we said earlier, not leave this place the same. It's your name that we pray. Amen. So we start out this morning in Colossians chapter 12, and or, uh, chapter 3, verse 12, and we learn that not only is this an outfit that we're, we're putting on, but it becomes an identity because we are now God's people. We are holy and dearly loved. We have taken on a new identity. Um, at some of my other um, places that I've been able to be a pastor at, I've had the opportunity to speak on Ash Wednesday. And Ash Wednesday has turned into one of my favorite times on the Christian calendar because it talks about the fact it's, it's, a, it's a calendar reminder every year that we have a new identity in Jesus. And that's where we start out this morning, that these clothes that we're talking about are meant to become not only just an outfit, but an identity. And this week I decided that it would be a good idea to take a look a little deeper at these clothes that we're going to put on. Because it's, sometimes we can really read through these and we kind of think we know what they mean. So we just kind of, we can move on really quick. And I wanted to look and see uh, at some of the contextual things that go with these. And it actually, it, a, a lot of these really opened my eyes. And so I hope they do for you this week too. Uh, the first piece of clothing we come to is compassion. A deep gut feeling of sympathy and mercy. Now when I was looking into this word compassion, and what it meant in the original languages, in the Greek and even in the Hebrew, I, I kind of started laughing, but I was kind of bummed at the same time. What it really means is a um, feeling of compassion from the bowels. And I thought, I'm going to have to say that on stage. <laughs> you guys are going to remember the first sermon that I ever got to say with you, and it's going to be, I'm going to be talking about bowels. Uh, but really, what, when you look into it, more deeply. The, this comes from kind of the Hebrew translation of the word compassion, because it was something that was meant to be a deep gut level feeling. And for the Hebrew people, uh, they needed like, 
they really needed to pinpoint things. And they were talking about things. They didn't want to talk about it fi uh, figuratively. They wanted an actual physical uh, place to talk about. And so when they talked about compassion and coming from your gut, you guys, we've always, we say the phrase, you know, ow, I had a gut feeling. This is what I need to do. Or, you know, I just kind of felt like this is what I should do. Well, that was what they would say that came from the bowels because that was the like most inner center part of their body they felt like. And so when they talk about this word compassion, a deep gut feeling of sympathy and mercy, when we have compassion for people, we should feel it. And we should not just feel it but we should feel it deep in our gut. And this is something that uh, would have been very countercultural in that day. Especially, I mean, when we saw, uh, when we see and read about Jesus coming into the world and, and starting his ministry, you know what happened to people in Jesus' day when they got sick or when they grew older or when they had a, a mental disability or when they were viewed as unimportant or as kind of just an inconvenience, those people got pushed outside and had to go live by a wall and pretty much just spent their whole time away from everybody else, just kind of waiting to die. It was not a compassionate society. They did not care. They didn't have deep gut feelings of sympathy and mercy for people that were around them. And so then Jesus comes into this world, and what does he do? He goes, and he spends all of his time with those people. He goes out there, and he heals them, and he preaches to them. He spends time at a well with a woman who had to go to the well at, uh, at late in the afternoon when it was the hottest part of the day because she wasn't allowed to go with the other ladies because she had done something wrong. This is the compassion, the deep gut level of sympathy and mercy that Jesus shows for people. So as followers of Jesus, and as we've, we've taken on this new identity, this is the first piece of clothing that we are supposed to put on in a replacement of our old life, is a deep gut level feeling of sympathy and mercy. And then that kind of goes with our next piece of clothing, which is kindness. Kindness is the action that comes out of compassion. If you have a deep gut level of sympathy and mercy, and you're actually feeling pain for somebody else's situation, and then you don't do anything about it, did you really have a deep gut level sympathy, uh, feeling of sympathy and mercy for someone if you never took any action or response to it? Probably not. And we, you know, when, we look at, when we look at the story of the Good Samaritan, we kind of see this play out. The Good Samaritan, we know, was the third person to come across this dying man on the side of the road who'd been robbed and beaten. And the first to a priest and a Levite walked by on the other side because they had other things better to do than to take care of this person. The people that are supposed to have kindness, or that are supposed to have compassion and feel deep gut level sympathy and mercy for people, walk by on the other side. And then along comes the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan binds up his wounds and he cleans his, cleans his, uh, his wounds and he takes him to an inn and pays for it. And then tells when he's leaving, he said, keep track of all the bills, I'll come back and I'll pay it. Make sure this man is well. That's kindness. And that should be the response to compassion. And that's the, that's the next piece of clothing that we're supposed to put on. Following that, we get to the word humility. Now, this one was interesting because I went to go find the word for humility in the Greek language. You know what I found out? There's not one. They, the Greek had no term for humility anywhere. They despised humility so much as a virtue that they didn't even have a word for it. It wasn't a part of their language. Being, being prideful, making sure that you were taken care of, being the best that you could be 
was so important to their society, they didn't want to talk about you being humble. When Jesus came and Jesus uh, taught and walked with people, he told them that they were to be servants, that they were to lower themselves for the good of other people. And so again, Jesus was being countercultural in a time. And guess what? We live in a society now that, like I said before, we strive for independence. We want to be uh, able to live life and do it on our own and be, have everything put together, or at least we want to make other people think we do, right? I mean, that's something that we strive for. Uh, the staff here at church, we just started reading a book uh, called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of the things that they start out at the very beginning of that book is talking about the fact that people move from dependence as a child to independence. And then a lot of people get stuck there, but there's, a, there's another level beyond that that's interdependence. And it's kind of being able to depend on other people to, to manage your day, to go through life. Um, and, and Jesus had the same thought because that's why we're all here together today, right? We can't, we can't do all of this on our own. We can strive for it. We can try to do it, but we need each other, and we are better together. And Jesus taught humility, and he showed people what it was like to be a servant. Jesus could have come in and could have been the king amongst kings. Instead, he went out to the wall, and he spent time with people who were sick, who were dying, who were hungry, and in that way took on a lifestyle of humility. And that, that humility piece of clothing follows up with the next one, which is gentleness, or as some uh, different translations call it, meekness. And this is also very interesting. Meekness is to suffer rather than to cause suffering. Basically, this is saying, if somebody has to hurt, let it be me. If somebody has to lose, in this situation, let it be me. How many of us are willing to say that? I've got to be honest with you. I grew up in a house with four other boys. This was never a phrase that we spent very much time on. If anybody had to lose, I hoped it was one of them, right? When you're cheering on your favorite sports team, when, when Ohio State is playing Michigan, depending on what side of the aisle you're on, right? Man, if anybody has to lose, I sure hope it's them, right? We don't, this isn't a natural way of thinking sometimes for us. And Jesus came again, and he showed us what it was meant to say, if somebody has to hurt, let it be me. Jesus stood before Pilate, right? And had multiple opportunities to say, exactly what he needed to, to get out of what he was going to go through. But he said, no, in this situation, if somebody has to hurt, and he was thinking of everyone at this point in time, if somebody has to hurt, all these people, all of these sinners, all of these, all, they all deserve death. But in this situation, if somebody has to die, let it be me. That's strong language. But this is what we're called to. This is a part of that new identity that Jesus is calling us to. And next we come to patience. Patience means long-suffering. All right, any parent of a toddler knows 
Patience, right? I, we got to go this weekend uh, to the lake, and, and I saw patience on the face of parents of toddlers when they weren't quite doing exactly what you wanted them to, or they weren't quite listening to what you said. Patience, right? Sometimes patience is difficult. Paul had a pretty good understanding of patience because we know the life of Paul, right? We know that in Paul's former life before he was transformed by Jesus on the Damascus Road, we know that Paul was Saul and Saul went around murdering and killing Christians and throwing them into jail just because, for, just because of their faith. And then, you know, I, I don't know how many of us would think, oh, okay, I'm going to go find the person, my, the, the person that's like just my enemy, basically, and I'm going to go take them. I'm going to have patience enough with them to change them and then to use them. That wouldn't be natural thinking for me. And I don't know how it would be for you, but I wouldn't want to use somebody like that. I would not want to use my enemy to help me do anything, right? But Jesus had enough patience with Paul to do that. And so patience is a new piece of clothing that we're called to put on. And with patience comes forgiveness. Forgiveness equals no grudges, right? Forgiveness, um, again, this is another word that we can say a lot, and maybe we can say and tell somebody who's done something against us, you know, I forgive you, it's okay. But secretly, deep down, we still hold on to that. Forgiveness is one of the, the hardest things I know for students to learn. It's forgiveness, because things hit so home so hard, so deep, that it's really, really difficult to say and truly mean, I forgive you. And when Jesus was talking with Peter in Scripture, we see that even Peter, a follower of Jesus who had walked everywhere Jesus had walked and heard every message that he had given, even Peter said, now, how many times should I forgive people? Should I just seven? Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. You, that should be, you should be so good at forgiving that, it, again, it becomes part of your identity, becomes part of who you are. And that is not difficult to do because we want to hold grudges. We want people to pay for their actions. And so sometimes that becomes very difficult, but that's one of the, the new pieces of clothing we're called to put on. And then finally, we come to the last piece. This piece is the most important piece. Love. Without love, the, the scriptures uh, this morning says, um, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Without this piece of clothing, the others don't work. You can't be compassionate and not have love, right? You can't, you can't forgive somebody without love being involved. In 1 Corinthians 13, it's a very very well-known passage of, of Scripture, but I'm going to read it for us this morning because I think this gives us the best word image of love that we can find. If I speak in the tongue of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. 
does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Without love, our new outfit doesn't stay together. It doesn't stay on. Love is the most important part of our new identity. I tell teens often um, that when we're talking about love, if you were to take a biopsy of God, if you could do that, and you were to to do that, it would come back 100% love. Love, God is love, and that's all that God is, and God does everything out of love. It looks different sometimes. Sometimes it's tough love. Sometimes it's telling us and correcting us when we need to hear it. Sometimes it's the, the, the tender, intimate love that we so often think of. Sometimes it's the love of a friend. But God is love, and as followers of his Son, we are called to the same, to be loving. So now that we have this new identity, now that we have this new outfit on, what are we supposed to do next? Well, if we continue looking there at verse 15, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since, as one member, uh, since of members of one body you were called to peace. So we've got this new identity on. Now how are we supposed to act? Well, we're supposed to let the peace of Christ rule our hearts. Now, this word rule actually means to be an official or to umpire your life. All right? So if you kind of get that sense, you, you've probably seen professional sports at some point in time on TV. The umpires or the, the officials get really animated and emphatic, kind of just going off the emotion of the crowd. And they'll call a foul or they'll, they'll call somebody out or whatever, and they'll do it with like all they got. And you can hear them yell strike from like the top row of the stadium, right? Um, sometimes umpires are like that. But this isn't what Jesus is for us. I don't know if you guys have ever had the ability to watch a Little League baseball game or maybe like T-ball where they're just first starting out and they hit the ball, maybe run to third base first or run straight out to second base or, you know, they just kind of don't quite get fully grasp the understanding of the game. I love watching the umpires now because first off, I don't know how they do it because, you know, you've got kind of, you're trying to control chaos out there on the field. And these umpires, they, they, I've seen them, they kneel down, they, they tell, you know, you, when you hit the ball, you're supposed to run to first base, and you didn't quite get there before the ball got there, so you're out this time, but that's okay. Next time you'll know, you just got to go to that base. And they're very, they're very, like, tender with those kids, and they teach them along with kind of calling balls and strikes and outs and, and, and calling fouls and stuff in basketball. They are very tender with those kids because they're teaching them while they're doing this. This is the kind of umpire that Jesus wants to be in our lives. He doesn't want to stand there and just like make the emphatic, oh, you messed up, you're out. He doesn't want to do that to us. He wants to let us know, hey, you did this. That's not good. There's, there's, there's consequences for that. But guess what? Next time, you and I will do it together. Jesus wants to be that umpire for us. And when I think of the peace of Christ, um, I think of all the moments where Jesus displayed this peace for us. You know, when there's a raging storm and Jesus steps out onto the bow of the boat and he says, peace be still, and the waters go silent. Or I I like to think back even just to the very beginning 
of time in Genesis, when, Jesus, when, the, when, when God's Spirit is hovering over the waters and the, they describe the world as chaos. And then just slowly God just pieces it into order. And he takes that chaos, and all of a sudden it becomes perfect order. Now, can you imagine those kind of images when you think about all the, the, the goings-on of your daily life, all the, your interactions with people, your relationships, the decisions that you have to make, all of those different things. Can you imagine holding them up and letting, letting Jesus kind of officiate your life? Will we make the same decisions? Will we, will we say things in the same tone to that person? Or will we, will we interact with that person um, who's really frustrating us? Will we do the same things? I hope not. I hope that that would make a difference in our life when we, when we have Jesus help us go through our daily life. Too often we write that off like it's insignificant. Like, oh, well, you know, like that was just a small thing. Like Jesus really didn't care about that, but he does. And he wants to be there. He wants to be in all the daily decisions. So we've got this new identity, and then we're supposed to let Jesus officiate our life. And, and then we get to this last part, and uh, our, our worship team is going to come back forward here. And they're going to come back forward because we get to the natural response of all of this. When we put on a new outfit, a new spiritual outfit, and we let God officiate our life, there's one natural response to all of this. And it's to, to worship. It's to be thankful. It's to sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's to tell God that he is greater. It's to tell Jesus that we worship him because he is greater than his sinful nature. We worship Jesus because he's greater than pride. We worship Jesus because he's greater than hate. We worship Jesus because he's greater than chaos. We worship Jesus because he is love and that he loves us. And we worship Jesus because we are thankful. Worship is the natural response to letting Jesus transform us into a new person and give, give us a new identity. And so this morning, I felt like it would kind of, I don't know, be a, a wasted opportunity to put that into practice if we just prayed and were dismissed this morning. So this morning, we are going to respond the way that this passage says to, and we are going to worship God today. So at this time, stand with us and sing as we pronounce that Jesus is greater.